songs like this and help remind me. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my son. So let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Oh, he is my son. And you are
to listen clearly uh, and intently for your voice, Lord. Help us to quiet the other voices in our minds right now that think about last week or next week or today, later today. Lord, help us to listen to your word. Open our eyes and open our ears to what you would want to say to your children, your loved ones. Luke chapter 2. So let me, let me set up this story. Because what we're going to do is we're going we're to do a lot more setup on this story uh, than we are going to be um, as we read it. Okay? So um, just beware of that. There's going to be a lot of setup to this because I think it's important. Because I think one of the things that Luke is addressing with this scripture, uh, this scripture specifically, is... Where, where power comes from, where we seek it, uh, versus, you know, kind of a juxtaposed to where this baby boy uh, received it and, uh, and kind of spent his whole life talking about it. And yet, 2,000 years ago, we've built institutions and buildings and schools and all kinds of things, uh, forgetting almost what Christ taught us. About that, so, uh, and he taught those those lessons even as an infant when he couldn't physically do anything for himself. Okay, so we're going to start in verse twenty-two. So hear these words. When uh, so, oh, let me start in twenty-one. Sorry, that kind of gives us a little bit of the story there. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus. The name given by the angels before he was conceived. And if you're curious, I'm reading out of the Holman Christian Standard Version. The name given to him by the angels before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord that every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And then there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. Under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms 
praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, just as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, a sword that will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and now a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day, fasting and praying. And at that moment, she came up and began to thank God and began to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And then when they completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the boy grew up, became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. So now on the surface, I acknowledge that it's not obvious. It's not obvious what those um, power struggles are that gets addressed here. But what Luke does, as he's painting the story of the Messiah, is he chooses these kind of uh, really kind of somber colors, right? It's not the bright, vibrant colors. Heather, you like my art, my art analogy here, right? He's painting this picture of the Messiah of salvation, and, and Luke does not use kind of this really, uh, if, you, if, if you took John's gospel, for instance, it would be filled with color and vibrant and all this kind of stuff, and Luke's just kind of, it's a little more gray. It's a little more uh, solemn, because we realize from the telling of Luke's story, the, the kind of one of the points that Luke is getting across um, is this is a different sort of kingdom to that of what Caesar had in place. What Caesar was ruling in Rome, it's different. Indeed, this is what God had promised for sure, but not as if they had ex expected or, or wanted um, Luke is warning us that it wasn't that it doesn't look like what people expected. And in this particular story, suffering really plays an important part. How were Mary and Joseph suffering? I really don't remember if it was on when we did the call to worship this time or before, but at some point I made a joke about, you know, them being tired and there being a little, you know, a crying newborn. So they were suffering for that, right? But that was kind of joyfully suffering. But how else were they suffering? Uh, one kind of insight to that is we've got to go back to Leviticus 12, all right? Now, I just read this this week. It was not intentional, but it worked out really well. Leviticus 12, starting with verse 6. This is where it talks about it. So you remember, when, as Luke's telling it, he said, just like they were uh, instructed as far as the purification rites go, they did what was expected of them. And so this is what Luke 
this, this is what God is speaking to Moses, saying, here's what I want you guys to do. As you're kind of beginning this community, you're kind of out of Egypt, and you're about to go into the promised land. They haven't yet been exiled to the 40 days in the wilderness, so they're kind of, God's kind of setting this thing up. He's establishing it. They're kind of getting ready to go in, and he said, well, hang on. Before you do that, first build me a tabernacle. Let's get out this ark. Let's kind of get places of worship. And then let me tell you how I want you to worship. And, and, and if you are anything like me, when you read Leviticus and um, Exodus, kind of the end of Exodus, but really through Leviticus and even, you know, even into the Deuteronomy, but God is really, really interested in the details. He gave them very specific details. A lot of times I just think, you know, without getting into Scripture and kind of seeing it, I just think, like, you know, God doesn't care about this stuff. He really did. In fact, where were they supposed to put the blood when they, when they ordained someone, right? On their right earlobe, specifically. On their right thumb and on their right big toe. I mean, that was specific stuff. When Jesus said, here's how I want you to build the tabernacle, it wasn't just, you know, build it, you know, roughly, you know, big enough to fit everybody. He said, no, I want it to be this specifically this big and this wide. When you build a table, for the offering, build it specifically this high and this wide. You know, it was really specific. And so as God has given them these purification rites, he's really specific. When her purification, so this is starting in verse 6 of Leviticus, Leviticus 12, when her days of purification are complete, whether for a son or a daughter, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. He will present them before the Lord and make atonement on her behalf. She will be clean from her discharge of blood. This is the law for a woman giving birth, whether it's to a male or a female. Verse 8. But if she doesn't have sufficient means for the sheep, she may take two turtle doves or two young pigeons one for the burnt offering and one for the sin offering. Then the priest will make atonement for her on her behalf, and she will be clean. Mary and Joseph knew the struggle of that person without means. Luke kind of alludes to this. without specifically. So Luke doesn't go in and say that specifically, but he said, here's the offering they brought, two turtle doves. And Luke is generous in that. He just says, just like they were supposed to do. He doesn't call them out. But certainly the priest would have known, right? Certainly anybody who saw what Mary and Joseph were bringing would have known, this is a poor family. They don't have much. If they did, that lamb would have been following them, or they would have been carrying it to the temple. They didn't. They understood that struggle. Luke brings that out here. You know, Matthew really does a really good job of talking about the kingdom of God. And Mark, you know, he, Mark really dives into some of the supernatural works of Jesus. You know, John really dives into the relational aspect of who Jesus is and really spends about six chapters just talking about what it is to love God and to love each other. Luke, as Luke tells this gospel story, it's really about the blessing that God gives through suffering. Um. And that's different than what the power struggle that we seek is, right? 
Luke is really setting up this idea that the kingdom of God, the kingdom that God is coming to establish, the kingdom that God is using uh, for this, um, to set his kingdom here on earth, the person that he's using, the way he's doing it, the entire thing is completely different from the way in which we seek power. Right? The way in which, quite honestly, they sought power. It was completely upside down. It wasn't kind of this right side up, uh, the, 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 the underlings are at the bottom and it just kind of flows up, right? It was very much the opposite way. Uh, we know this from when Jesus got older, what did he tell his disciples? Uh, he said, if you want to be first, you're going to be a servant of all. Jesus didn't just say that as a good bumper sticker quote and move on about his business. What did he say within the context of? He said that within the context of him washing their, their feet, their dirty, stinking feet. I hate feet. I don't want to touch anybody's feet. I mean, I touch my wife's. I don't even like touching my kids' feet. And it's just, I don't like them. I certainly don't want to get down on somebody on my knees and wash somebody's dirty, rotten feet. They've been walking in dust and mud for all day long. But yet Jesus did that, and he said, and if you want to rise above, if you want to be the top, if this is your quest, if you're basically what Jesus is saying, if you want the power like you're seeking, because you guys are all following a rabbi. Everybody who followed a rabbi back then were seeking something, right? Wisdom, knowledge, they wanted to be trained, they wanted to be just like that rabbi because they saw something in that rabbi that they wanted. These 12 are no different. And they felt special because he called them. And he tells them, we're going to flip this thing upside down. You're not going to get what you're wanting. In fact, if you want to get what you think you want, you're going to have to get on your knees, wash somebody's feet. The story seems really, the story we set up of Jesus' birth is really miraculous, obviously. But we set it up really idyllic. And kind of have this picture-perfect thing. There was snow. Does it even snow in Israel? I don't know. Seems like it's too close to the equator for that to happen. I'm not really sure. But in my brain as a kid, like, it was snowing in, in Israel, right? And there was, like, soft-fallen snow. And there was a big moon, right? And then the star. And we make it super idyllic. And then the wise men come, and they're giving gifts. And it's just this whole thing of just pouring out all this stuff to Mary and Joseph. And all that absolutely happened, probably not the snow, not really sure what the moon looked like then, but all the rest of it absolutely happened. But Luke is painting this picture of this is not the ideal birth of a Savior that we want to build in our brains. In fact, this was a very poor family. They didn't have much. The only thing Joseph really had to offer his son was born to one of the Pharisees' sons who had all the stuff and had the robes. He was born to a poor dad who... who Worked hard, I'm sure, to provide for his family, but it wasn't enough to give the biggest and best temple sacrifices. And so that's how Luke starts this thing. He starts this thing in the first two chapters saying, here is where it is. But what I want to I point out a couple of quick things from Simeon and Nana's stories on this. Here are these words. This is what Simeon said. So Simeon this old guy, and we learn from this brief scripture that he was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. 
uh, just take a second, get out of the, you know, kind of get out of what you preconceive from Scripture and just think about how crazy that sounds. Uh, when I grew up, and you guys may have similar stories, but when I was growing up in church, there would be prophecies and all these people who would talk about that God told them, right, something. And I remember this one person telling us, well, before I tell you this, let me preface this by saying that this person is no longer alive. But there was a person in my church that I knew pretty well who told us, uh, and they were older at the time, that they were told by the Holy Spirit that they would see the second coming of Jesus. That did not happen, right? And as a, at the time, like, I remember thinking, that's a little weird. Uh, and even as a kid, but I was like, ah, okay, cool, good for them. Uh, I really had kind of forgotten about it until the person died, and then for some reason it just kind of come back to my mind. I was like, man, that's, you know, so this sounds crazy. Here's this guy saying, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, this Messiah's promise, he is not here yet, but you, Simeon, are the one that God's told is going to be here. I mean, it just sounds crazy, right? And I imagine he kind of wore that a bit, like a scarlet letter, right? Like, here comes the crazy man who says this. But I would imagine there was enough, because when you're told something by, maybe he had enough confidence in that that he sold it, right? Like, Because when you're told something by God and you know it, you don't care what anybody really thinks, and so you kind of carry that confidence, not confidence in you, but confidence knowing that God's not lying to you. Uh, I remember, and I was very confident in this, I remember feeling, Natalie and I struggled having kids, and I remember feeling at one point, and she was just dumb, down in the dumps and bummed out, and every time another friend got pregnant, it was an emotional toil for her, and some of you guys may have been there, but I just remember, and, and even as we're going through the uh, adoption of Jude, and so we knew we were going to have a kid, I told Natalie, I said, You're, we're going to have our own kid. Like, I, like uh, You could not have convinced me. I felt like God told me that, and you couldn't have convinced me otherwise. And then we get pregnant with the twins, and that's kind of like a whole other ordeal. And then, you know, Ben comes along, and that was kind of, but there was nothing. I mean, you kind of felt crazy. I didn't tell anybody else that. I told her. I didn't tell anybody else that. <laughs> but you kind of feel a little weird, but you just have this confidence. Like, I, God's told me that. I can't. I'm not going to back off of that. So you kind of imagine Simeon really didn't care that he was kind of the crazy man who was saying this. And here they come, right? They're bringing him. Simeon took him up in his arms. This old man just takes this little baby up in his arms. Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. Now, listen to this. Verse 34, then Simeon blessed them, being the mother and the father and the child. Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword that will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Notice the order at which Simeon says that. This child will cause the fall and the rise. Everywhere in our society, right, it's the rise and the fall, isn't it? It's the rise of the business empire in the fall. It was the rise of the Roman empire in the fall. It was the rise and fall of whatever it may be. 
But with Jesus, it was the fall and then the rise. He makes us think words that he said years and years later after Simeon blessed him in this way. What did Jesus say? Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It falls and then rises. That was the subversiveness of the kingdom of God. Twice within about, I don't know, 10 verses, Luke has painted this picture that the kingdom of God is not a, kingdom of God is more powerful than anything on this earth and it's not getting that power in the same way at which we seek it. It's very much upside down. And imagine Mary, who heard this prophecy, right? Here's a mom, loved her child. She hears this prophecy. Sounds weird, right? I mean, isolated from the rest of the story. This is the first thing you knew. You didn't know anything else about it. And Mary wasn't given privy to what happens at the end of Jesus' life, right? When the angel comes, he just says, this is going to be the Messiah. You know, this is what's promised. She didn't know how it ends. So Mary's got this love in her heart for her son. He, he grows up. He starts this ministry. And, and I can imagine as a mom, she's like, yeah, this is what I was promised. Like I kind of knew it would be something like this. There's miracles happening, all this kind of stuff. And then the triumphal entry into the Jerusalem where he could have seized power just like that. But he didn't. A couple days later, she witnessed a bunch of people brutally killing her son. Can you imagine how her heart broke as he bled and she had to watch him bleed out until he was dead? The fall, right? But then she was with some ladies in a garden and she takes off and there's another Mary hangs around and then there's this rise, right? It was the fall and the rise. It's not the way that we seek power today. But it is the way in which God tells us this is what real power looks like. This is what it looks like for the kingdom of God. So it began to have me wonder about all the ways in which we try to seek power. And all the different ways that we get kind of, uh, when we feel like that power is being stripped, we kind of bow our backs a bit. And we kind of rise up and say, well, this isn't right. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And, and, and all I can tell you is you don't have to go too far. You, you really just have to go to John, where Jesus said, hey, you know, this is going to happen. The Gospel of John, we hear the words of Jesus say, yeah, it's not going to be easy. You're going to be persecuted. In fact, Jesus told them, you know, celebrate the fact. You don't want to do that. We have a government who shuts down churches out of safety for people. And what does the church want to do? Ah, oh, blow our back. That ain't right. We got to be able to meet together. As if that's the hill that we want to die on as believers, is that we have to gather in a building to worship God. We, we don't have to go further than a couple pages in Scripture, and we're at the book of Acts where the church thrived in homes. 
They weren't allowed to meet. In fact, they were scattered because they were killed and they were persecuted. And they didn't bow their backs and say, this isn't right. We need to vote on a different Caesar. We've got to get somebody else in charge. We've got to do something different. They said, man, this, is, this isn't what this is about. Like They understood the lessons of Jesus. And 2,000 years ago, we forget it because we want to bow our backs. We want to say this isn't right. We want to seek power just the way that everybody else tells us that we got to seek power through voting and through petitions and through protests and through all this other stuff. And Jesus said, power doesn't come from the way that the world seeks power. Quit it. Who cares? Government comes and locks that door today puts a bolt across it and says, we can never enter. Where are we going to be tomorrow? Some people are going to be trying to fight political fights. Tell you where I'm going to be. I'm going to be at 15 Nickel Springs Drive throwing a party, trying to gather some of my neighbors. I'm going to keep doing it. Luke is, of all the, and, and Luke, you know, same guy, you probably know this, same guy wrote Acts too, right? This is kind of Luke and Acts are just a continuation in a lot of ways. When we read Acts, it's the same kind of thing. Luke just doubles down on it and says, look, here's what's happening. <laughs> here's what's going on, right? Paul tried to seek power just the way that the world sought power because he was in the world, right? He wasn't in the body of Christ yet. And what did Jesus do? He stopped him on the road to Damascus and said, you're going about it the wrong way. We're about to flip this thing upside down. Within an instant, literally within an instant, Paul went from persecuting the church to being the one who was being chased. But he didn't bow his back and say, well, we're going to fight this. We're going to lead an insurrection. We're going we're gonna to go and, and take the streets, and we're going to take this thing back. Paul just kept on doing it, right? He got beat. He got tortured. He almost died a couple times. And we don't get a sense that he ever fought back, right? He was willing to go to that. God kept him alive. He had more of a purpose for him. Same with Jesus. We never see Jesus fighting back or even asking him to fight back. In fact, the one time Peter tried to, Jesus said, whoa. We're not, that's not what this kingdom's about. Lay down your sword. Lay down your gun. In our day and age, someone picks up a sword, now you know you're dealing with a weirdo and you just run, Right? Put down the guns. This isn't how we get what we want, right? And why? I think that is the biggest key to that. Because we can read that and be like, yeah, I got it. But why? Why was that? I think Jesus was teaching us the lesson. The same lesson here in Luke. The same lesson in the garden where he's woeing Peter down, the same lesson that the early church learned that Jesus was talking about in Matthews 5 and 6, where he says, consider all these other things, how I take care of these things. Can you trust me to take care of you? And if we're honest, a lot of times we don't, right? We say it. We say it because it sounds really good. And then when we can't rely on any of our other things, then we come back to that scripture and be like, well, I just got to trust in you. I'm just going to give it up to you. But if our bank account's full, or we have all of our voting rights, or we have, you know, all the power, we have all this stuff that we can rely on before Jesus, that's where we go to, right? And Jesus wasn't putting it in that, Jesus wasn't saying when you're at the end of all your other resources, I want you to remember this, 
Consider the lilies. Consider the birds. Jesus says it at the very beginning, right? Now, granted, there was a lot of people in Jesus' crowd who were already at the end of that when he said it. And so for them, it was like, thank you, Lord, right? Why does, why does the gospel spread so quickly in areas that are oppressed? I think one of the reasons is people don't have a lot else to cling to. And that's kind of where Jesus wants us to we'll get to. But Jesus they all wants us to be there when we do have a lot of things to cling to. Can we just... Lay all that stuff down and trust him that he's going to take care of us. Can we lay all the idols down, right? That was the thing when Moses came down from the mountain, Aaron and the Israelites. Like, isn't it amazing that Aaron was still ordained as the leader of all? The other time when he was in charge... They start complaining. He didn't know what to do. He said, okay, we'll take off all your jewelry. Let's melt it down. Let's make something. And that's going to be our God. Right? We talked about last week. How ridiculous that is. God is up on the mountain. He's doing all this crazy stuff. You see it. But you're going to pretend like this cow is God. Right when God's right there. I mean, it's ridiculous when you think about it in that way. But... He was ordained and he said, this is what I want you to do. Like, this is how we're going to go about this thing. And so they gave him rules to follow. And Jesus came in and he said, well, I'm not, I'm not throwing any of that away, but what I am telling you is I'm about to fulfill all that. So all that's going to kind of go away because I'm going to really become the two, the two doves, the two pigeons, the lamb, the bull. I'm going to become all that. I'm going to become the one sacrifice that you need for forgiveness of sins, for the fellowship offering, for the grain offering, for the atonement, for all this stuff. Like, I'm about to become all of it. And the way that I'm going to show you is a way through serving. Through serving others. Uh, one of the great things for us, as we read Luke's gospel, especially the first two chapters. We're not far into it, right? We basically have an old couple who have been surprised by pregnancy. And a really, really young couple who was also surprised by pregnancy. And then in that same story that Luke is telling, we now have two really elderly people who are kind of sitting at the church and waiting for what God has promised them. And there's this mother who has been given what God's promised her, but she's really young and has no money. And the thing I love about Luke's gospel, even in these first two short chapters, is that matter who or where you are, the story of Jesus from all the way from the feeding trough and beyond can become your story, right? Because there was everybody in this story. It wasn't isolated to just one group of people. There was everybody in this story. And it involved everybody. Each of us, if we read the first two chapters of Luke, can find somebody that we resonate with, that we get, that we kind of... So if you are sitting around thinking, man, life has passed me by now. I am older. And what do I have to offer? You can cling to Anna. Right? You can cling to Simeon. You can cling to those and say, man, God had a place and a purpose for them in his story. If you're way too young, 
maybe had a baby that you weren't planning on. There's a place in that story for you. There's a place for everybody in God's story. And in it becoming your story, it will become your vocation. It will become what you do. Everybody has their own role in God's plan, right? We know this. We say this all the time. But for some, it's really active, right? Some, for some people like me, it's getting up. And like the folks that you, we've had here this morning, it's getting up on stage and doing something every day uh, or every week, leading people in it. And it's more active. And you can see it. For other people, perhaps, it's more quiet, away from the public view. Prayer, fasting, support in ways that other people will never see. And for a lot of us, for many of us, it's going to be both of those things. But there is a place in God's story for us. For many, it will be like what Simeon said. It will cause the fall and the rise of many. That it will pierce hearts. It will reveal what's in us. And the gospel does that. When God calls us to servanthood, it begins to reveal in us where we don't trust God. Which that's a good place to be. Not that we don't, but now God is through his Holy Spirit revealing to us where we can begin to lean in and trust him even more. So this story of Luke is a story of prophecy about Jesus, but it reveals to us what God has told us all throughout his scripture is that you are not going to seek power the way that other people seek power. That God wants us to seek power through serving. The first will be last, but what? The last will be first. That Jesus will cause the fall within the rise of many. And, and I don't know about you, but that is kind of where I want to rest. That's where I want to be. I want to be in this place where I am uh, seeking Christ for all that I am and not relying on any man-made constructs for my power. Because that power goes away. So this morning, with that on our hearts and minds, we're going to worship a bit more. We're going to say the words of the Nicene Creed, but first we're going to pray. And what I invite you to do is to pray, whether you're listening to this now or uh, if we're still having issues and just catching the video in just a little bit, um, whether you're praying live with me now or not, what I want you to do is when you hear this, to be, to be prayerful. Ask God to reveal places where we still seek power from sources other than Him. Because all, all of us do it. It's just part of our human condition, and we need the Holy Spirit to constantly bring that to our minds and to renew us, right? It's, it's, a, it's a process. It's not a, in an instant. Even for Paul, even though he went an instant from being the persecutor to being the persecuted, he still had growth. <laughs> read Corinthians and then go and read uh, Philemon and tell me that it's the same guy. It is the same guy, but it, he has changed. He has moved. He has grown. And so it is a process for all of us. So wherever you're at, whether you're praying now or on a podcast later, just pray that God would reveal those places where you're still... And pray that God would give you wisdom to know that, you know, truly that he is the only source of power, that we can trust him in all things. So join me as we pray. God, things don't go the way that we always want them to, when, even when we think we're in control. And so this morning, we don't have to go much further than technical difficulties to realize that uh, you're going to allow 
that you control it all. And so we trust in you, God, to work all that we do out for the good. God, may we work it out so that you receive glory in all things. God, forgive us for places and times in our lives where we strive for power, we seek power, we take the things that men and governments and power sources have told us this is how you accomplish stuff and help us to remember what you taught us. Help us to remember that you were brought into the temple as a poor, as a baby of a poor family. That is not what we expect or, or probably wanted if we were writing our own story, but God, we, we're thankful it's not our story, that you were writing that. God, that you make all things good. God, could we be people who really, really trust that, that really trust and lean into the fact that you are good, even in the suffering. When we look at Mary and Joseph, who were struggling financially, God, you were good. They were holding the Savior of the world in their arms. You were good, and we don't equate that with goodness all the time. We don't equate poverty and and areas of weakness as good, but God, help us to remember and know and trust that you are good in all. We love you, God, in your name. Amen. To that good God this morning, we will say the words of the Nicene Creed as a, as a, as a declaration of some basic things that we believe. So join me as we say these words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, of all things seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scripture. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He'll come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and a life of the world to come. Amen. sing this song, Better is One Day, Better is One Day in Your Courts, Better is One Day in Your House, than thousands elsewhere, and, and, uh, and 
it's it's obvious when we sing this song, and we're we're talking about the presence of the Lord, and and especially now when we can't all be in one building together, um, it also challenges us to think about what the church is and what is the gathering of saints. Is it more than physical? What is it to be in the presence of the Lord? Well, we know that we can pray in solitude. But the presence in the Lord is also in his body. And it's not just when we stand together in one building. It's when we are in relationship with each other. And we can participate in this body no matter what the restrictions are. We can enjoy his presence. And it's a good meditation to think about what it means to be a church in a time like this. It's so much more than, than meetings. Where better is one day. 
good. You are good, Lord. You are good in ways that we can't describe. You are holy, Lord. And most importantly, you are with us, Lord. Father, this, uh, in these last moments that, that we're here worshiping together, Lord, remind us of your presence in a way that we can carry with us, Lord, that we can go from these moments truly in your courts and in your house, Lord, with no interruption, Lord. And we trust you because you are God, Lord. We put our lives again in your hands because you are God. Amen. Just want to remind you, since we did have some technical issues at the beginning, if there are uh, we can go back to that video will be available in, in a while. Um, just that mosaic easily died in the wash. Uh, so, now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in his presence without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be all glory and majesty, power and authority before all times now and forever. Amen. Have a great week.